0: Okay, so <clears throat> let me, if you were not, I previewed this a little bit last week, but let me make sure uh, we all know what we're doing. Um, The conference is going to launch us into a new sermon series. That's another motivation to be at that conference. Will is right. The wonderful thing about a conference is our whole community gathers together around one central idea together. And that's always good, but it's particularly good when that one idea becomes the central theme for our church ...throughout the year, and that's what it is this year. It's going to launch us into um, our year and into the sermon series. And the sermon series is going to be Acts. Now, um, so that some, somebody came to me and said, you're not going to preach the whole book, are you? And I don't know what that meant. I don't know if that was an insult or what. But no, the answer is no, I'm not going to keep you here for a decade... ...preaching through the entire book of Acts. We are going to preach through 1 through 12... I may come back someday and preach the rest of it, but uh, the way Acts is divided is basically the first 12 chapters are the birth of the um, early church, the expansion of the gospel, um, and then culminating in the conversion of Paul, who then takes the gospel to the ends of the earth, and that's what the second half of Acts is, is the Paul's missionary journeys. We're not going to get there. We're going to get it all the way up to the ends of the earth, to the launching of the gospel and see ourselves in it. So Acts 1 through 12, and I said I chose that because I think strategically that's where we are as a congregation. Now what we're going to see in Acts 1 through 12 is mostly Peter. Um, Peter is the central figure as Jesus promised. He looked at Peter as kind of the lead apostle and said, You're Peter, upon this rock I'm going to build my church don't take that to extremes. It's not meant to be taken. He's just saying, I'm going to use you to lead this movement called the church. And as we watch Peter... We will be tempted to think that it is completely unrelatable to us. He's going to preach sermons that lead thousands to Jesus. He's going to stand confidently and boldly before the Sanhedrin. He's going to be persecuted. He's going to have miraculous healings. And I don't want you to think as we study Acts that this has nothing to do with me. What am I supposed to do with that? That's not me. Today, we're going to make sure that's the case. Today, we're going to look at the Peter before Acts. The Peter being prepared and equipped for Acts. And in that Peter, we most certainly can relate, which means in the Peter of Acts, we most certainly can relate. I know most of you personally, and most of you know how unimpressive I truly am... But there is a consistent encounter that I have with many of you when you see me outside the walls of this sanctuary, outside this pulpit. Um, It always goes the same way. Uh, You'll see me in blue jeans or workout gear. Maybe I'm not shaven or something like that in a grocery store. And it always happens the exact same way. You'll see me, and then you do this double take like this, and you'll kind of stare, and then you go, Robert? And I'll say, yes, hi. And this is the word, this is the line every time. I don't recognize you without a robe on. As if, like, I don't know if you people think I, like, live in this thing, okay? Or, or if it's kids, I've had this from the kids. I don't recognize you without your dress, which is... <laughs> it's always this moment of, who are you? I don't get it, because I'm used to you here, talking about big things in a black robe, in a big sanctuary. I'm not used to you in the grocery store, in sweatpants. It's a weird experience, a demystifying experience, and I understand that. I've had that personally. Um, I've had the opportunity to meet some of my, uh, the spiritual giants in my faith and, and, and spend time with some of these uh, heroes of mine, leaders in the faith. And I always come away the same way. I remember visiting with John Piper for the first time. Piper, in my college years, um, he's the one who <clears throat> set me on fire for the glory of God and reformed thought and all these different things. And I remember uh, so excited for the first time that I got to spend time with him, and he was remarkably unimpressive. Uh, awkward, introvert, incredibly shy very burdened and downcast he he was very relatable in the fact that he was at the time he had a son who was wayward and that's all he wanted to he wanted prayer for that he was so burdened by a a John Piper and a prodigal son and I remember leaving there thinking man that's not what I thought I remember the first time I got to spend time with Tim Keller, this brilliant mind, this guy who's leading this whole uh, revival in the secular world of Manhattan. And he's on stage and you watch him and he's so brilliant and his mind works so fast and he's so eloquent and he has so much charisma and you meet him and by his own admission, he is the most socially awkward person you'll ever meet. You could barely carry on a conversation with this guy. And he'd be the first to tell you that. I'm not saying anything about Piper or Keller that they would not say. It's painful. And not just... Living heroes. You can go to dead heroes. I uh, Talk about Martin Luther. And my obvious love for him and the church debt to him is the instigator of the Reformation. Who, you know what he was? He turned just just kind of an old, cranky, angry man at the end of his life. Just a curmudgeon. People were like, you couldn't really be around the guy. He turned anti-Semitic. He yelled at everybody. John Calvin, really, really domineering Arrogant, stubborn leader. People really didn't like working with him and for him. Charles Spurgeon, depths of depression. Could barely get out of bed some days. One of my favorite things about the Bible, and I believe one of the most compelling reasons for the uniqueness of the Bible, if you're exploring the claims of Christianity and the scriptures themselves, you need to know the Bible is utterly unique. Unlike every other religious book, and I would say every other self-help guide out there. Religion or worldview, they're all the same. I figure something out, follow my plan, and, and it'll work. And here's the Bible, which is just a bunch of messiness saying we've discovered a Savior. It's a very compelling book. But anyway, it is written in such a way that we encounter our heroes that way. In fact, it is written to expose its heroes, not exalt them. And Peter might just be the best example of them all. Probably is. Today, you will see the apostle Peter for who he truly is. And you know who he truly is? He's just like you. Just like me. I've got two points, one from Mark 14 and then one from John 21. So in Mark 14, what we're going to see is the weakness of self-sufficiency. And in John 21, we're going to see the strength of Christ's dependency. Let's start with the weakness of Peter's self-sufficiency. We've been living in the upper room together. Now look at verse 26. And this is the connection. When they had sung a hymn, they went out. That's the closing hymn of the the, uh, Passover meal that they were celebrating in the upper room where we've been. So this is, we are picking up literally right where we left off in John seventeen. They sung a hymn, they closed the upper room, they go out to the Mount of Olives, 27. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I, am ra- after I will be raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Now what's interesting about this is that Peter actually sounds exactly like someone who is ready ...to lead the New Testament church. Who is ready to lead the movement of Acts. So courageous, so valiant, so determined. In the eyes of the world, in the eyes of worldly leadership... ...this is exactly what you want from your leader. You want him to show up at the interview and say... ...no matter what, I've got grit, I've got determination... ...I've got what it takes, I'll get the job done... But Jesus sees this for what it is and it's all pretense. A facade of strength based upon confidence in himself and Jesus is quick to expose it. Verse 30, Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Okay, now his arrogance has been confronted by Jesus. Instead of owning weakness... You know what he does? He actually has the nerve to call Jesus a liar. 31. He said to him emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. The audacity of Peter to refute the Lord Jesus to his face. Who does he think he is? Well, I'll tell you who he is. He is a man who cannot admit weakness. He is a man who would rather call Jesus a liar than himself a coward. And I think we need to admit that we can relate to this. For many of us, we would rather let our life fall apart, and, as Peter's soon will, than to face and admit our own weakness. We will give up anything before we give up our own pride and strength. That here is the scary but good, and I mean good, lesson that we learn from Peter's story. Eventually, we will have no choice. Our self sufficiency will eventually be exposed. Eventually, we will have to face our weakness. Eventually, the facade will crumble. Eventually, we will be exposed either willingly or forcefully. Either you lay down your pride and admit your own weakness, or God will have to show you, but He will show you. Through bitter providence, through loss, through hardship, through whatever, God will show you, like He shows Peter, how weak you truly are. That's what happens here. Jesus is calling Peter weak, Peter is calling Peter strong. Jesus will be proven true and Peter will be proven false. That very night, he couldn't even last 12 hours. 66, verse 66. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls, the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. Now stop there. This detail is intentional and ordained by God. Is there anything less threatening than a servant girl? Culturally speaking, there is not. The most insignificant person you can imagine in their culture is the one questioning Peter. And watch him wilt in this little girl's presence. He denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. You're saying there, I don't know what you're talking about. He went out into the gateway, and this rooster crowed, and servant girl saw him, began again to say to the bystanders, this man's one of them, but again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. As if his two denials weren't bad enough, it says the third time that he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. That doesn't mean he started using curse words. That means he made an oath. He is saying, I swear to God, I don't know Jesus. Simply put, this is a total and complete repudiation of the Lord Jesus. In the deepest possible way, Peter has entirely renounced the faith. And the point of Peter's story is that it does not get worse than this. It was ordained that the leader of Christ's church would disavow Christ himself. Which is such an important point. No matter what you've done... No matter where you've been, you have not done worse and you have not gone lower than the one to whom Christ promised to build his church upon. You can't outsin Peter, the one who led Acts. Now why? Why would it be ordained that the leader of Acts be such a failure? It's actually a good question. Because, listen, isn't courage virtuous? I'm I'm trying to raise my boys to be courageous men of valor. Wouldn't it be better if Peter was bold and didn't deny Jesus? Wouldn't wouldn't the story be better if he actually stood up to the pressure and said, Yes, I know Jesus. Kill me if you must. I'm with Jesus. Doesn't Jesus want us to be strong and bold and courageous? Yes. But the nature of our strength matters. I would suggest the worst thing that could have happened here is for Peter to have his grand moment of valor because it would have only reinforced the lie of his own strength, it would have only blinded him more to his arrogance. And the best thing that could have happened was his failure because it exposed for him the lie of his own strength. And the best thing that could happen to us is that same exposure. It is God's mercy when he brings us to our end and leaves us in a pile of our own humiliation and tears as Peter is left in this passage. Because then, and only then, We are prepared for true strength, strength we were created to live in and by, strength rooted not in our self-sufficiency, but a Christ dependency. Oh, Jesus wants us courageous. Yes, he does. Just true courage, not this worldly pretending that we all do, this false bravado, self-produced, self-reliant, self-exalting, I got this, no worries type of strength. In reality, there is nothing weaker than that nonsense. Instead, what needs to happen is for that to be crushed, that true courage might be resurrected. So let's watch that happen in Peter's life. We've seen the weakness of his self-sufficiency. Let's look at the, Christ, the strength of Christ dependency. <clears throat> Before we turn to John 21, look at something that is easy to miss in 28 of Mark 14. After I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And then when Jesus is resurrected and appears to the women, he says to them, go tell the disciples and Peter, he specifically says, make sure you tell Peter that I will meet them in Galilee, 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 Galilee. This is where Peter met Jesus for the first time, where this brash Young, arrogant fisherman left everything to follow Jesus, having no idea what that would mean, having no idea where that would cost, having no idea where that would take him, just knowing that he must follow this man. And now, after denying this man, he's told to go back to Galilee. And Jesus starts over with Peter. I mean that literally. Jesus repeats... Everything from that first encounter with Peter on the sea. John 21 is the savior of second chances. Let's watch it unfold. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I love that because that, you talk about relatable. Peter weighed down by his guilt and shame, returning to all that he knows to do. The only comfort he has left. Well, I lost Jesus. I'll go fishing again. I'll go back and fish. They say, I'm going fish. They say, hey, we're going with you. And I love that. Community, friends with him in his darkest hour of denial. We're with you. We'll go fishing with you. He says, they went out to the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you caught anything? He said, no, said to them, cast the net on the other side, you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they are not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish, a repeat of that same first miracle. And just as a brief aside, this whole fishing story that he does with Peter twice is a parable of exactly what we're talking about, the point of my whole sermon. Peter catches nothing on his own ability, even though he is an expert fisherman with all the skills, but with Jesus, his catch is too much for the nets. In the same way, Peter is a fisher of men. That's what Peter said. That's what Jesus said to him, right? You're a fisherman. You come follow me. I'm going to teach you how to fish men. In the same way, Peter is a fisherman, can do nothing on his own, but with Jesus, as we will see on the day of Pentecost, thousands are caught by the gospel, Hold that fishing miracle in your mind as we study Acts. And every time you see Peter do something remarkable, bring it to mind. See him as a disciple who can't catch a thing without Jesus. Verse 7, this is the main point of the passage. Disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself. Into the sea do you want to see what the hope of restoration looks like? Peter's not waiting for the boat to get to shore. They're only a hundred yards off from shore. It's just a few minutes by the boat, but that's too long for Peter. He's got to get to Jesus. <laughs> he literally throws himself into the sea, flailing and kicking to get to Jesus, the one whom he has denied. Friends, that is how you respond to failure. This failing knucklehead in the water, embarrassing himself, clamoring after Jesus, is the picture of someone ready to be used for great things. Not the defiant, even if they all deny you, I'll never deny you. No, no, no. That's weak. This idiot in the water is strength. Verse 9, they get to the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And then verse 12 is the invitation. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. I love that so much. This is the first time that he has talked to Peter since his denial. Since that, that glare um, in the courtyard when the rooster crows and Peter sees it and he, f- and he weeps. First time Jesus has spoken to him since there. And what? No shaming. No How could you know, I told you so, just breakfast? Let's eat. The most welcoming words he could offer. Now, look at the restoration after breakfast in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, tend my sheep. said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, what is going on in that conversation? I've, I've heard this preached on and um, I think at times people read a little bit too much in the Greek here because there's different words there for love and, and, and whatnot. That's, I think that's probably reading too much into the Greek. The point is really simple. Peter has denied Jesus three times, and here Jesus is giving him a redo, a chance to reaffirm his love and commitment to Jesus three times. This is Jesus graciously, tenderly restoring Peter back. But what I want us to focus on especially in looking now toward the book of Acts, is Jesus' response to Peter's love and commitment. Each time Peter says, I love you, Jesus says, well then feed my sheep. He is connecting love for him with the feeding of his people. Here's the point. Love for Jesus always necessarily ends in love for others. That's where we're going. That's what our conference is about. That's what Acts will be about. You see, Peter is saying, I love you, Jesus. But the real question is how? Functionally, practically, how is Peter supposed to love Jesus? The answer? Book of Acts. That is Peter's love for Jesus on display. We, in this moment, are witnessing the birth of the Acts of the Apostles... It all begins here with one man at the bottom of his weakness and failure now overwhelmed by a Savior who loves him and still wants him and still wants to use him. Only now he knows what it means to be used by Jesus. His own strength has been decimated. He doesn't have an ounce of pride left in him. But strength found in Jesus Has been discovered. And this is the strength that will endure all things. After reinstating Peter, after explaining to Peter that the proper response to that reinstatement is to love others as he has been loved, now Jesus makes it clear what that love, what that feeding of his sheep will cost him. Verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you. Now this, you've probably read that before and you've probably been a little bit confused by that little parable there and that response to to Peter's saying he loves, loves Jesus. But now you might understand the meaning of it a little bit more. Peter, when you were young... Now, he's not talking kid. He's saying, you know, in your youthful arrogance, when you were young, you dressed yourself, you did what you wanted to do, you took care of yourself, you were the man, Peter. Peter, in your youthful strength and arrogance, you relied upon yourself, you cared for yourself, you did what you thought you right. When you were old, you're going to stretch out your hands, and another person's going to have to dress you and carry you. The image of the elderly unable to care for themselves, needing to be clothed and carried because they don't have the strength to do it on their own is ironically the greatest picture of strength according to Jesus. Saying, Peter, when you were young and could take care of yourself, that was weakness. You're going to be old and somebody's got to take care of you and carry you. That's strength. And They're going to carry you where you do not want to go. He will need this Christ dependency. Peter's self-sufficiency of his youth is gone. Now he's discovered a strength of Christ dependency. And he will need it for then, Jesus says, another will lead you where you do not want to go. Verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. What was before Peter... When Jesus said in Mark 14, what was before him when Jesus said, you're going to deny me, and Peter was so strong, what was before him was a little servant girl who's going to say, hey, don't you know Jesus? What is before Jesus now and what, what, what Christ is previewing is Acts. We will watch Peter preach before crowds that hate Jesus and hate him. We will watch him make decisions, leadership decisions that will literally change the course of history and determine the formation of the church. We will watch him face opposition and persecution. And eventually, this isn't an act, but we know from history and previewed here by Jesus, he will die a gruesome martyr's death. But now he's ready. Look at that last phrase of verse 21. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus repeats the same words. He said to Peter the first day they met, only this time it's a lot different. The old, arrogant, self-reliant Peter saying, if, even if they forsake you, I'll never deny you, could never endure what's before him, could never answer this follow me call. But now the failing, humiliated, yet loved and empowered Peter is ready. He's ready for acts, which means you are ready too. As we study the book of Acts and watch the amazing work of Peter and the other disciples... ...never forget, never, ever, ever forget this Peter. Never forget that behind the courageous apostle of Pentecost... ...is a weak failure overwhelmed by a strong love. Because in so doing, you will never find Peter unrelatable. And most importantly you will never find yourself incapable. This is the sense I got. Somebody came to me after, after the service who had that experience with me uh, one time. They said, yeah, I saw you at the soccer field, coaching soccer, and you looked terrible. Said, okay, thank you. And they said, but, I was, but, but then I was like, oh, well, okay, he's like me. That's how I found myself each time. I had the opportunity to spend time with these heroes of faith. It's a little disenchanting, and that disenchantment is strangely encouraging. Disenchantment because how I imagined they'd be, they weren't. To be brutally honest, I had such a high view of them that I must say in meeting them, I was disappointed and unimpressed. But I found encouragement in that disappointment. If God could use a shy, introverted man who up until college couldn't even speak before people like John Piper if God could use a socially awkward man who can't relate to people like Tim Keller, if God could use an anti-Semite like Martin Luther, if God could use a depressed soul like Charles Spurgeon, if God could use these failures, then why not an always faltering, often failing, awkward Robert Cunningham? And this is why the Bible tells us Peter's story the way it does. If God can use Peter, then who can he not use? Here's my question of application for you, and, and if your parish groups have started up, you could discuss this in your community. I really want you to answer this question honestly. Because it's an important question as we go into Acts. Do you view yourself as qualified to do great things for Jesus Christ? Because oh how paralyzing is the burden of self-knowledge. We know ourselves too well, don't we? I don't know enough. I'm not bold enough. I failed too much. If they only knew what I did last night. If you only knew how big of a hypocrite I I am. I want you to be specific. What is it that you believe disqualifies you from being used by Jesus Christ to accomplish great things for Jesus Christ? Name it and then compare it to Peter in the courtyard, renouncing the faith in a pile of humiliation and tears. And what you will find is that Peter's story no longer lets us say that we cannot be used. What does it take for you to be a person who could radically transform your office, your family, your school, your neighborhood, this community? Because that's where we're going, people. Onward and upward. We're about to finalize this church plant. We want to plant another one. We want to keep going. More glory of Christ. More good of the bluegrass. You know our vision around here. You're our ministry. What will it take for you to be a person to radically transform the community around you? Well, what qualified Peter? Here's his qualification qualifications. He was a failure, overwhelmed with love for a savior of second chances, and dependent upon that same savior for strength. That's it. Which means you have it. Are you weak? Are you scared? Have you failed? Have you even denied him? Well, congratulations, my friends. Consider yourself fit and equipped to be used by him. Let me pray. Lord, teach us The truth that when we are weak you are strong so much so that we could even say with the Apostle Paul that we boast in our weakness because your power is made perfect in our weakness Lord we've heard it proclaimed now feed us with the truth that your strength is enough that yes in ourselves we are weak but in you we have confidence we have boldness we have courage we have strength to leave here And carry this gospel message of the Savior's second chances to this world. Feed us, we pray, in Christ's name.